I think I got good glasses today. <laughs> we welcome everybody that's watching from home or those that will get this podcast or watch it sometime later. We're going to keep talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, so let's pray. And I got some good things uh, to hand off to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you uh, for your sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you for not leaving us orphans, as you said. You would send us the Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't be left alone. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, we know we're not left alone. We feel your presence. We recognize your presence. We read about your presence, and we experience your presence, Lord. And we need your presence. There's so much trouble, normal trouble, and then the world is in so much turmoil, Lord. We need your presence to be real and alive. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to pray for those in need and to be faithful witnesses in adversity and to live our lives the way you've asked us to live them and to be strong and courageous and full of faith and full of love and full of truth, all the things that we need to be totally equipped and well-rounded in the kingdom. We just pray, God, that as we study this morning that we will uh, see your glory and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take you on a little journey here and remind you a few things because this applies in everything when we're talking about God. And this is something I believe the Lord taught me. Best circle I've drawn, I think, right there. Don't look like an egg. God does not get this in your mind. I'll get it in my mind. God does not operate in time. We do. He sits above. And if I could use this circle as time, then this is uh, my argument for some of the flawed dating that the world tries to come up with. If, you, if we have Adam or Adam here, that God created and gave created the world and everything actually gave us what I like to what I call revolutions right we we the world turns we have day and night the sun comes up goes down that's how we these revolutions cause us to have an understanding of time we wear watches cuz they we have figured out the amount of hours and minutes it takes to go through one of those revolutions, right? So we call that time. Well, God, if you go behind Adam, because time was created in those first six days, along with everything else God created, according to Genesis, if you go back here, you're going back into eternity. Now, eternity is no time. If you read the book of Revelation, there could be... A, certainly a double meaning when he uses this phrase, but he says, there'll be time no more. All right? No more delay in, in the natural sense, but we know there's a day coming where we're going to go back into eternity. Right? Jesus said there'll be no day or night. So there won't be any revolutions like we're used to. We're confined in between the book of Revelation and the end of all things and Adam, or Adam, were confined with this watch, with time. God is not constrained with that. So when God speaks something, 
it's a, it's a done deal. Now, it may not manifest, and I've talked a little bit about this in your own personal journey. When you pray for something, it may not manifest itself immediately, but what we're praying for is God's decrees to be manifested. So he may manifest, in this case, Jesus, 4,000 years into our frame of reference, right? After Adam, 4,000 years, give or take a few years, Jesus was born in, in time and goes to the cross and then is resurrected. But if you go back here, and this is a problem with man's trying to date, you go back in a time where there were no revolutions, right? I, I don't argue that God didn't have stuff going on back here. We don't have any information about it. All of it would be guesswork for us. But God's always existed, and he's always existed out of the realm of time. And so you go back into eternity, you can't really date that stuff because there's no revolutions like we live in here in the sphere that we live in. So God, and that's mind-blowing, right? You go, it's really... I think it was the psalmist David said that some things are too high for us to really grab a hold of. But you go back here, and this, this makes sense, I guess, in this way. That's why things don't age, right? I mean, you go back into a time where there's no revolutions. You're in a constant state of, of life. And, of course, no sin. That's what really brought death in. So you go back into a time out here, same thing that was going on back there, and from Adam till God calls this whole thing off, we live in this realm of time. So if you go, and re I'm going to explain this so we can understand the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit clearer. When you go to Revelation, it, the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. You remember my testimony with that ulcer that the Lord told me that I'd already, the healing had already done. I was just waiting on it to manifest. He was teaching me then, and he continued to the same thing. God, Jesus, and the, and, and the Father, and, of course, the Holy Spirit, they've always been around. Uh, they have different roles to play uh, in our lives, but they work together, three in one, and, but they have distinct personalities, and they have different roles to play in our lives. When you read Genesis 1, <clears throat> it says, or 2, I guess, make man. The word us is Elohim. The word for God there is Elohim. It's the plural form of God. So all three personalities of the Lord, all three persons of the Godhead were around in the beginning. So the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. And the reason I brought that up is he didn't manifest that until 4,000 years into our realm. But when he decreed it, this is why this is kind of a joke, but true as well. God has to be careful what he says. We don't have to really be careful because he can't do any wrong. But just to get a point of reference here. Because whatever he says is a done deal. If he speaks it, I mean, that's how he did with the earth, right? He spoke it into existence. So him and the Son come into agreement long before you and I, well, long, I say, back into eternity before time was, 
he and the son had already agreed that that's why I tell you God wasn't caught off guard when Adam fell in the garden, Adam and Eve. He already had a plan because the Bible said he was slain before the foundation of the world. And the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, all three of them were in agreement on this. So God does in the fullness of time, is how the Bible says it, he creates the earth, creates Adam, gives us a frame of reference. And I read stuff that they attribute to Enoch. I enjoy that. And Enoch says the reason God gave us revolutions or seasons and times is so that we could estimate our lives. We would understand that there are seasons and beginnings and ends of things. <clears throat> and so God, Jesus was slain already, but it wasn't manifested until 4,000 years into our time. Now, this is, I can't go much higher than that <laughs> because you can see the reason God who sits outside of time can prophesy or show us or tell us things long before they happen. I think Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, was called by name by Isaiah. Obviously, it was the Holy Spirit giving Isaiah the information. Called him by name 500 and some years before he was ever born. God can do that because he can see all the way around the circle. We can't do that. We're confined in these revolutions. Now, we can do that if he gives us insight. If God says, I want to show you something that's going to come to pass, and we've probably all had some level of that happen in our lives, and we certainly see that in the Scripture. So God sits up, up top of the circle, and he can see all the way around the circle. That's why he can tell us the end from the beginning. So I want to culminate this here, and then I'm going to share some Scripture with you. When... I was at Martha who said, Lazarus is dead. And she, they, he said, well, he'll, Jesus' response was, he'll rise again. Now, she had some great level of understanding there before all these books were written. She said, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the last day. Right? So that she had good theology, even though Revelation hadn't even been written yet. Right? Paul hadn't even been called out of the darkness into light to write all the things that we get our understanding from. So somehow she had good doctrine. She'd been given good doctrine, maybe listening to Jesus or John the Baptist or whatever. And so she said, yeah, and her faith was real, right? She said, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the last day in the resurrection. And Jesus said something to her that I think just probably echoed around the universe. when He, he said, I am the resurrection. And so... <clears throat> If you can receive this, this is why I've been telling everybody, you've got to go back to the cross. If you're, that's our position. When you come to the Lord, you're standing on what Jesus did, not on your persuasive ways of trying to coax God into something. And you've heard me say this before, he don't move because of need. If he moved because of need, there wouldn't be any. He moves by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I come to God through that finished work. And that's how I can come to that throne in Hebrews where Paul says, come in boldly. How do I come in boldly? Because I'm weak and frail and I'm a, I've sinned and I've, I, I have no power. I can't even uh, decide whether it's going to rain or not, right? I come boldly because I'm standing back here 
on the finished work of Christ. What if one of your children, whom you love, sent something, man, I feel this. If they sent somebody to you, and you didn't even know them, and they knocked on your door, and they said, listen, your child sent me to your house and said that you would help me. That's all you'd need to hear, wouldn't it? Pretty much, if your child done that, right? If, you know, if your child said, go to my mom or my dad, they'll give you $50, or they'll feed you, or they'll help you get your car fixed, because this, you would, that would have weight with you, right? Rather than some Joe Blow off the street who you didn't know. But if somebody, and that's how we got to approach God, is like, I'm coming in boldly because I'm a frail, messed up dude, you know, I don't, I don't do everything right, but I, that, I can't come in that with that boldness if I'm coming in my own stead, but I'm coming in his stead. So when he said to her, I am the resurrection, this is the point I want to get across to you, he hadn't been resurrected. But it didn't matter because he was the resurrection. See what I'm saying? He was the resurrection back here in eternity. He'll be the resurrection here in our frame of reference. He'll be the resurrection over here after it's all over. So whatever's in Christ is done by the Holy Spirit even if it's not been manifested yet. And that's how I pray more and more as I'm, the Lord's teaching me this. Hey, I'm not standing on what I'm seeing here in my immediate circumstances. I'm standing on the cross. I'm standing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, how does the Holy Spirit play into that? I'm going to show you. We got this, there's this idea that the Holy Spirit, and of course I've dispelled that for the first 12 weeks, the idea that the Holy Spirit didn't show up till Pentecost. That's not true. The Holy Spirit was there in creation. Paul said in Acts that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Isaiah. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson and gave him strength and power. All that's real. And I'm going to show you some more evidence of that with a few scriptures here. But the Holy Spirit, what I've said to you is the Holy Spirit made himself more available to us in, after uh, the day of Pentecost. So in, uh, let me read a couple of scriptures to you. In Luke 1, verse 15, um, let's see what else I want. Let me go to Luke 4 first. I think it's Luke 4. I'll look something up here. Luke 3, I'm sorry. Luke 3, verse 15. So John the Baptist is the forerunner slash promoter of Jesus, right? He's coming out and getting everybody ready for Jesus to come out. And he says in verse 15, Now as the people were in expectation, all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, he's going to clear that up, right? He's going to, he, uh, he said, John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water. And we've talked about the word baptize means to be immersed, right? Consumed by but one mightier than I, so he's confessing right here that he's not the Christ. 
He says, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, he'll, you'll be consumed or immersed in the Holy Spirit. That day's coming. He says, his winnowing, is in his, fa uh, his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The, what happened on Pentecost is, instead of people just having access to the Spirit at certain times for certain moments for certain tasks, they were, you have now access to the Holy Spirit constantly. He lives in us. And he wants to immerse us or consume us to where our whole lives are governed by him and not what we see or what we think. So that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't already, the Holy Spirit wasn't here at work because he was. And now let me take you to Luke chapter 1. Go back in the same book here. And I'll read you just a few verses here and there. In Luke chapter 1, it says, <clears throat> speaking of... John the Baptist, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. I'm sorry, verse 15. Luke 1, verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink no wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, you can't put God in a box just like somebody said, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't here till Acts. And that's not true. He's here in Genesis. He's here all over. He's filling this guy... John, before he even comes out of the womb. Now, you talk about an advantage. If you come out of the womb and feel the Holy Spirit, you are, have a distinct advantage. Uh, and I'm okay with that because God had a plan and purpose. He does his own thing. Same thing, that's why I use this resurrection. He was the resurrection before he was ever resurrected. He's God. And that's why you got to see in him we live, we move, we have our being. Our position before God is given to us by grace. And it's given to us through the finished work of Christ. I can't bust in God's door just because I think I'm the guy or because he owes me something. I bust in the door with boldness because his son sent me and said, if you'll go see my father, he'll help you. I mean, that's how we... Uh, if you can put that in the natural term like I did earlier. Now, in this same chapter, <clears throat> verses 41 and 42, look again. This is still all before Pentecost. He said, And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salvation of Mary, excuse me, salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's around. He's alive. He's doing things. Uh, but he did come in a different dispensation in Acts so that all of us had the availability to have what John the Baptist had, to be filled with God's Spirit. That's what changed. And then he says, <clears throat> she lifted up, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, she lifted up her voice with a loud cry. Now, same chapter, verse 67 Walk through this with me. He says, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So he started foretelling about his son, right? That, <clears throat> the things that God was going to do. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, says it about Jesus. Then, of course, we, had, we expected this about him for sure. 
Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now think about this, though. The Holy Spirit don't just take us in comfortable places. He takes us in places where God can work on us because we need worked on, don't we? I need work. We all need worked on. We need to grow. We need to get out of our boxes. We need to get out of our comfort zones. We need to be sacrificial like Jesus. We need to care more about the other things of others than our own stuff. And you can't do that in the natural. It takes the work of the Spirit to do that in us. It's not natural to care more about other people's things than your own. That takes the work of God in our lives. But look what it says. It said, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted. Who took him out to be tempted? That's hard for some people to swallow. But it's the Holy Spirit because God does stuff in us. Uh, Paul and Peter both said, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. God puts us in the furnace, lets us be tried so we, our faith can grow. Right? And the Bible says, and this is, this is a hard thing to understand, I get it, but it says Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. So suffering does us good at times. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is at work. He's always been at work. He's part of the Godhead. He's, uh, and his manifestations, he, like I said last week, he takes, just like Jesus did while he was here on earth, Jesus takes the things of the Father and distributes them to the bride. So that's what Eliezer did. We used this last week when Abraham was the father. This is a type and a shadow. Somebody asked me why I believe the Lord's coming before the seven years of tribulation. And they, they weren't argumentative. They said, why are you so concrete in that? I said, let me show you some types and shadows. Let me show you where... Jacob wanted Rachel first, but he got later, and then he worked seven more years to get Rachel. It's a beautiful picture. God chose Israel, not that he was going to leave us out, but Israel refused, so he went and got Leah, the Gentiles, and now what's going to happen? After the Gentiles are caught up to the wedding, the Jews are going to come in seven years later. After the, it's all, and you know, David, David, the Bible, this is a good one. David, the Bible says, when he first became king, not everybody was happy about it, right? So the Bible says he went to Hebron, set up his throne there, and everybody who wanted him to be king, those who were on his side, went to him there. That's exactly what's going to happen with the rapture. Those of us who want Jesus to be king, when he comes, we're going to meet him in the air, Paul said, and we'll go to him not in Hebron, but in heaven. Then the Bible says David ruled from... This is a beautiful picture, and this is clear as... Clear as the crystal water to me. Then the Bible said he reigned in Hebron for right at seven years. Then he brought those who, who wanted him to be king with him to Jerusalem and exercised his authority over everyone. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. We're the ones, the Christians, we're the ones, the true believer, I should say, we're the ones that want him to be king. We're ready for, I'm, I mean, I've told him twice in the last 10 days, Lord, come on back, let's get this mess over with, right? But we're the ones who want the king. So when he, we're, when he, we're going to ascend to him there like they did, then we're coming back with him. The Bible's plain about that. Back to Jerusalem. I mean, it's such a beautiful picture. So that's why I'm convinced 
I'm not an escapist. I like a good fight, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not afraid. If God wanted us to stay here through the seven years of tribulation, I'm good with that. But that's not his plan. Paul said he's not appointed us to wrath. So he, got, he chose Rachel, first choice. He got Leah first, actually. Then he worked seven more years for Rachel. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's gonna, Joseph took a Gentile bride just before the seven years of famine hit. There's so many beautiful things in there. But his, when the Holy Spirit, Eliezer, Abraham said, go get my son a bride, he brought gifts, right? And that's what we're going to start getting into in the next few. He brought gifts to get Rebekah for Isaac. She was impressed. She saw that the father had beautiful things. She saw she was going into a family that could meet her needs, help her out. Eleazar was there. He was, he was the Holy Spirit, quote, unquote. He was the type of the Holy Spirit. The father sent him to get a bride for his son. So that's the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to bring people into the kingdom. Then his desire is to consume them or fill them so that he can govern their lives. I'm on a roll. <laughs> and not us, because we did such a wonderful job at governing our lives before he come along, didn't we? <laughs> and we still struggle with that, right? I still struggle with that. Just ask my wife. So anyway, we'll stop there. Our time's up. We'd like to do these little 30-minute quick teachings. But you all can see how exciting this is. Those of you that are watching or are going to watch this or listen to it on the podcast, there's so many wonderful things the Lord has planned for us. And the Holy Spirit is intricately involved with all that. You've got to be a friend of the Holy Spirit, just like you would Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the Word. It is alive, and we feel it this morning. You said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.